Hello again, Marshall Ferguson here with the CFP Podcast, Canadian Football Perspective. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, at CF Perspective is the best place to be able to go. Uh, very excited this week to be able to welcome on Ray Perkin, who is going to serve as an AUS analyst, Atlantic University sport, criminally undercovered, I believe. Uh, I've been guilty of it too. I have not given them enough love over the years. I've always enjoyed Atlantic football. Uh, the guys that come out of there tend to be really good CFL players when they get the opportunity. Uh, but now we've got Ray Perkins signed on at CFP to be able to help you understand what's going on out there and give those guys and those teams the exposure and the love that they very, very much deserve. You can check out his first article on CanadianFootballPerspective.com. It is uh, up there right now, the top five under-the-radar names that you need to know heading towards the CFL draft at the end of the month of April. So you can check that out online. Again, cfperspective.com is the best place to be able to get it. Uh, today, was very fortunate to be able to catch up with another prospect for the CFL draft. He is a quarterback by way of Oakville, Ontario, but that's basically when the normalcy of Nathan Rourke's journey ends because he has taken on such an amazing journey to get to where he's at right now, which is the precipice of the National Football League, an opportunity to be able to live the dream of quarterbacks. And you might say, well, every Canadian kid should want to grow up and play in the Canadian Football League. They do. But when the money and the opportunity and the lifestyle presents itself of the National Football League, uh, anybody would jump at that opportunity. And Nathan has certainly done that. He is wise beyond his years. He is honest. He is straightforward. He is someone that I've been kind of fascinated with because he's not Will Finch and he's not Kyle Quinlan. He's his own person. He's different. And I think that that will come across in this interview. This next guy that is joining me on the CFP podcast uh, has lived a a bold and brilliant uh, NCAA life and really a football life at large. I have so much respect for Canadian quarterbacks that not just going to have success up here in the north or uh, any level of football, but really being able to go down and not just go play Division One football, Played at a very high level, bring a program to a new level they haven't reached really before or consistently before, uh, be able to be a top flight player when it comes to JUCO, being able to go down and play high school football in Alabama and not just be down there and exist, but to go down and have success. All of these things have always made me respect and track the career of Nathan Rourke, and he's nice enough to give us some time here on the CFP pod. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for the intro. That was awesome. No, I, I'm very happy to have you on. I met you last year just quickly at the John Cornish Trophy Award Ceremony at Tim Hortons Field, and um, you struck me as somebody who, despite all the success that you have had, you've been able to stay extremely humble. And I, I love the fact, Nathan, that you're just a normal guy, and that's obviously going to help you so much in these conversations with teams getting into the draft, CFL, NFL, otherwise. But I want to begin right from the very start to give people kind of a picture of your football journey because it is unique in the sense that you're not just one of those Canadian quarterbacks who has a dream and goes down and sits on a roster. You've been a starter. You've been a long-time starter. You've been a successful starter. You've made your way not through just Division One football, but like I said, through JUCO and through the high school system in Alabama. And But I want to go back first to your time spent here in Ontario. You are an Oakville, Ontario native for people that don't know, uh, and you led HT, Holy Trinity, in Oakville to your first Offsa Bowl championship. I'm guessing at this point in your football experience, you likely look back on your time, your young days spent in Ontario, and you probably giggle about a thing or two, realizing just how pure and how unique that was for you before you went on to do bigger and better things. What is the some of the memories that jump out for you when you think of Ontario high school football? Well, yeah, um, definitely it was definitely a really special time for me. That that my, that would be my junior year where we had that Oscar championship, and it was really really special, really, really special year. We had some really good teammates, and we just bonded really well. The team was really really close, and obviously we we were very talented as well. And so um, we uh, it was really cool to be a part of a team because uh, that had done things that the team had never done before, the school had never done before. Um, my coaching staff there at Holy Trinity had won. Uh, had gone to the the Halton finals like I think it was four or five times prior, uh, but never won it. And to finally be on that team to get over the hump was really really special. And then obviously uh, winning a G Hack championship and then going on to winning an Oscar Bowl uh, was just icing on the top. And so and it was really cool to be a part of that as you know the team uh, the the school really rallied behind us and they were you know uh, traveling on buses to come and see us play when we were at MAC and. Um, really supporting us and getting behind us. And it was a really special time to be a Holy Trinity football player at that time. And um, it, it was really awesome to, you know, when I was playing there to play against all my 
uh, teammates that I played with the Bowenton Stampeders, uh, you know, at Assumption and Corpus Christi and Nelson and the rivalries that ensued with that. And so it was, it was really cool to be able to be a part of uh, everything that happened there. When you look back at photos of that junior season at Holy Trinity or maybe your Burlington Stampeders time, um, what makes you laugh? Because it's gotten to a point now where you're on the precipice of being involved in the National Football League and a major D1 quarterback and PFF loves you and your rankings and accuracy and all these different things. But I imagine you look back and you probably have little things you're like, why the hell was I wearing that chin strap? Or why did I decide to do this with the offense? Or if you were to go back and watch your game tape, I'm sure you go back, Nathan, you look at your first year at Ohio, you'll probably laugh at something. Like, I know this as being a former quarterback. We evolve and we forget where we came from. But if you were to go back and look at that high school season, you'd probably laugh out loud and be like, what in the hell was I doing over here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I remember a lot when I I do watch the Holy Trinity tape is, um, there was a lot of uh, me just kind of figuring out, figuring out a play for myself. I really I wasn't. There was a, there was a, uh, a point of the play, and there was a, there was something that I was supposed to do. But there was often times where I just decided that I was going to do something differently. Hmm. Uh, that would obviously never get, uh, never uh, be allowed, or, or I would never get away with that at Ohio or even at junior college. Um, uh, so that that was something that I had. I had a little bit of a green light to do some things like that. Um, and it's funny to watch that. And then I think the, one of the biggest things as I look back is, especially even at junior college, this was the case, um, the lack of my just knowing football. I, I thought I knew football, but right. not knowing defenses and not knowing schemes and um, you know what the O-line was doing and stuff like that, just kind of playing my position. Uh, and then as, as you get more involved in, in, in football, and, and, and that's what the point of, uh, or what they really wanted to do at Ohio was was teach you um, what everyone was doing on the field, and just so you could learn more about football. And so I feel like it's funny how how, how I really lack football knowledge, but I still got away with things. It is amazing, isn't it? Because we all think we know the game, and then you play a little bit, and you're like, "Oh, I didn't know anything." And at the point where you take that first leap, you're like, "Oh man, I figured it out. I, I used to not know anything." You look back three, four years later, and you're like, man, that time that I thought I knew stuff, I still knew nothing. Like, it's a constant evolution to try and figure out exactly where you go from there. But uh, for your senior season, you transferred to Edgewood Academy in Alabama. When did that decision start to come about in your mind, your family's mind? Did you talk to somebody who said, hey, maybe you should think about going down to the States to try and chase this dream of yours that you have? Take me through that original. When that first came into your mind or it was presented to you by somebody, was it shocking? Was it scary? Was it exciting? Because you take anybody who grows up in Oakville and they're an exceptional talent. You say, hey, we want to stick you down in one of the more competitive regions of the world when it comes to your sport. I, I would think that that would be a little bit intimidating before you really wrap your head around it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely was. Um, there were so many different things that we had to work out um, in terms of the details of how the whole trip was going to go and whatnot. Um, so that was probably the, the, the most frightening part. But um, after the after the junior year um, we had, and, uh, we were kind of looking at maybe what was the next step and uh, kind of looking at some maybe some possible schools and stuff like that. And it kind of was a situation where someone who we knew through somebody who knew, you know, who knew somebody through somebody. It was like kind of like one of those kind of deals <laughs> where he kind of just reached out to us and said, Hey, this is a situation. This school just graduated their quarterback. Um, and the next guy up is uh, going to be a freshman. So he's going to be a little bit young. And if you would come in for a year and play, um, it would be a great opportunity for you, but also a great opportunity for the school who kind of uh, would benefit from having a guy who come in for just for one year. Um, and so, and so we kind of looked into it and decided that we were going to do that. Um, and that happened, uh, within a couple of months, um, uh, in the new year of, uh, of 20, 2015. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a blur and with all that happening, but, um, it was really, really, really cool to kind of watch it unfold. So you get thrown in, but it sounds like you got thrown in with expectations, which like Nathan, that's very unfair to have a quarterback who gets thrown into that spot in that state, in that type of setup with expectations. Um, when you first got down there, like take me through the first couple of days of being around at Edgewood Academy in Alabama and where your mindset was at. Yeah, I mean, you talk about expectations. The uh, the team at the time had currently the the nation's longest winning streak. <laughs> oh, good. Um, yeah, so they had won. Uh, I think it was something like four or five state championships in a row, or something like that. And it was seventy plus games, or something like that. that they had won, and so there was definitely a standard there. Um, but when I first got to to Edgewood, I, I I realized really quickly what 
I was kind of missing in, in the high school uh, Canadian football um, in terms of the workout plan, how much off – I got there in the offseason and how much preparation they do. I think it's, they, their spring ball was a lot different than what we were able to do. Um, like there were so many different things um, about how more intense it was. Um, but as a guy who who has always loved football and who has always had a passion for it, um, I was excited to, at the fact that this is the way that they were going to be treating football. This is how the way they were going to be looking at it, um, and that I was going to be a part of it. So uh, it was a it was definitely a time of adjustment, but I was looking forward to the change. Now you have the unique perspective of being able to look at both sides of the border, as you say, and you realize what was missing once you got down there. That I find that so interesting because there are not a lot of people who know that anything is missing, right? Because up in, in Ontario and in Canada, across the board, a lot of places, status quo is status quo for a reason. It's just what we do. It's how we approach the game. But when you got down there and you experienced that, did any part of you feel like, man, if we would have done that back at HT in Oakville, if I would have had that even, you know, systems built in that were not necessarily that severe or intense, but that were built in to try and support us at a younger age in Canada, how different the system would look up here? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that it's not just for football. I think that academics and uh, athletics in Canada are are more equal than they are in the States. I think the athletics in the States is uh, far do- more dominant than uh, academics, and that's why that uh, athletics are, like, kind of cultivated uh, more in an, at an earlier age. Um, that's why, you know, Friday nights is an event and why we have they have um, – you know, stuff like homecoming and senior night and stuff that are to kind of glorify the, the high school sports and stuff like that that we just don't have. Um, and, and so it, it would have been, in, 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 and, you know, to, to support that, they have, you know, weight room programs and they have team lifts and stuff like that. And I remember at HT, like, we have a small little weight room and, that, you know, it's plenty, you know, plenty good enough, but it's not really fit for a team to go in there and work out. Right. Um, and, and so... Uh, they do the coaches do the best they can there, but it's not anything close to what they're doing. And I think it's just where uh, the priorities are in the uh, in in the you know the the people who make the decisions in the school board and whatnot, and kind of the society and the culture of 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 high school sports. So it's definitely interesting to see the difference between the two. Tell me something that put a smile on your face in the first little couple of weeks or so, the first while that you were down there in Alabama where somebody just said, yeah, this is how we do it. And you're like, man, and it just made you happy because you're like, this is what it's about. Um, I, man, I, I think it was, it was something like, um, it was something like, uh, just, just seeing the, 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 the program and whatnot that they were doing. Like they had like a, the, their weight room and stuff like that. It's a, it was a small school that I went to at Edgewood Academy, um, and um, but they had uh, like their own like weight room facility just for the football players and stuff like that. And they had a locker room and stuff like that that was built and um, by uh, by the school and uh, and just kind of be to see that and have like a program that they were working towards and you know like it was very much like a college program when i got to ohio it was like about the same thing where it's you know, an eight week eight week program and you're working towards this and you're going to max out and all this stuff that i had really never been exposed to and stuff like that so it was kind of cool at that point to kind of see like hey like we're we're really going to be taking this seriously and um and i think that when you do that it was going to pay off and so i, I made a like physically i i i had a lot of growth uh between that year and um, and my junior year in high school because I wasn't really working out as much as I, I did, but that was like the first time that I was really exposed to anything like that. And so it was that was cool to kind of just kind of see how serious they took it. And they kind of, that kind of matched where I was thinking as well and where I wanted to. Uh, as I, I said off it. the top, Nathan here, uh, Nathan Rourke of Ohio University heading into the NFL-CFL draft. Draft season is upon us, even though it's strange times. We'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. But um, in a single season, you threw at Edgewood for 3,700 yards, ho-hum, 59 touchdowns, added seven more rushing touchdowns, ho-hum, 13-0 record, ho-hum, double-A Alabama State Championship, ho-hum. Um, that's why when I, <laughs> I came in off the top here, Nathan, I said to people, like, this is, this is a bold football life that you have lived so far because you've done it in so many different places and you've done it in really unique places. But the one thing I wanted to ask you about the actual success that you had at Edgewood is you you said off the top here that you didn't know anything about football. You were learning, you were developing, you were figuring it out on the fly. You were coming from a system in, in high school and otherwise up here in Canada where you could get away with freewheeling a lot. To go down there, how is a Canadian quarterback 
able to not just exist, but to adapt and to succeed to the level of a state championship? Well, it definitely, it definitely doesn't happen overnight. Um, I, I was very fortunate to, to go into a system that had worked um, before and had success. Um, and so the, 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 the coach, coaching staff there had a, a good plan in place, and um, they just uh, needed someone who was willing to learn it. Um, we spent a lot of time in the summer leading up to that season in seven-on-seven tournaments at, at Auburn University and Alabama and Mississippi State, and where we, we did really, really well against public schools. And we were a very small school, like I said earlier, but against you know, 6A, 7A schools, we played some very, very good teams and against very good competition, and our stuff was still working. So the, you know, the speed of the, the defenders might have been a little bit you know, faster and whatnot, and the windows might have been closer, but it was kind of... In that regard, uh, in the summer, it was kind of baptism by fire. And so um, when I came back in, into the fall, um, after all this experience and stuff like that, in the summer with 7-on-7 seven weeks, um, I came back and, and things were pretty slow and stuff like that. And then obviously you have the, the element of me being able to run as well. Right. So putting that all together, um, it, 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 it was good experience to have. And I, didn't, I definitely didn't go into the season not knowing what I was going to be doing. I had a lot of experience leading up to that, and um, I really, um, I really just give give credit to the, the coaching staff for putting for making it easier on me and for uh, for teaching me and, and being patient with me, uh, but also my teammates for supporting me and making my job a lot easier. From there, you moved on to Fort Scott Community College, which I want to talk about the the Kansas Jayhawk uh, Community College circuit that is uh, <laughs> is out there because I've heard some crazy stories about it, and I think people will realize exactly what we're talking about in a minute when we get to the television show that's based on uh, the Jayhawk Conference. But uh, when you went there, when you made the decision to go JUCO, what was the, the origin of that? Why did you decide that was the right route for you coming out of that state championship in Alabama? Yeah, um, well, obviously the plan was to go Division One right out of high school, right? Um, but um, that didn't happen. I went unsigned, and um, and so at that point we were kind of figuring out what the next move was. We didn't really know. Were you offered any scholarships coming in, or was it just, hey, you're allowed to come walk into practice and see if you can make our team? I had some walk-ons. Some people were like, this this would be good. This would be a good situation, but um, none that we thought was worth pursuing, and especially as a Canadian, like an international kid, right? Coming into a school like that, you know was you know, expensive enough um so and and i think that um and my parents have always been so supportive of this but i, I knew in, in my heart that i was i was good enough to earn a scholarship and and so we were looking for an opportunity to do that um and so we started looking at at, at junior colleges junior colleges start, started reaching out um the way that they do it usually at junior colleges is that they bring in a, like a whole bunch of guys and so it's really tough to kind of figure out what place you're going to have the best opportunity to play because that's ultimately what you want to do. You want to get filmed so teams can evaluate you. Um, and so um, there was a, uh, lots of schools that reached out, but um, the, the head coach at Fort Scott uh, drove down from Kansas to Alabama to come see me <laughs> at my school and and see my mom. And um, that was a big that was a big, a big indication for us uh, that they really wanted me, and it wasn't just another guy that they needed to have on the roster, and that I was actually going to have a chance to compete. And, um, and uh, and so that meant a lot to us, and uh, so we decided that we were, we'd visit. And when we visited, we saw that there was nothing but football and school, and those were the only things that I needed to get out and to get to a better place. And, and so that's why we decided to go there. Uh, and so I'm, I'm so intrigued by this, though, the idea that you're a young guy at this point, right? Like you've just finished high school, and you have this dream, and you want to live out this dream, and you want it to become reality and your parents are saying, yeah, chase your dream. We believe in you. We think that you can do this. And you're saying, no, I know I can do this. But there had to be a conversation there at some point where it doesn't go the way you want coming out from that state championship. And you probably had to sit down and say, okay, like, what are we doing here? Like, what is the actual game plan? Before you decided to go the JUCO route, did that conversation happen? And was there a bit of a challenging of the idea of, okay, this has gone off the track that I had envisioned for myself as the perfect scenario. How do we go forward from here? Yeah, absolutely. It was it was a difficult time because you you kind of have expectations, like you said earlier, and um, and you want things to work out a certain way, but you know life has a has a funny way of not working out always the way you want it to. So we just kind of were like, all right, this is what it is, and um, where do we go from now. And definitely was very very uh, a very difficult time of kind of trying trying to trust you know um, you know God's plan and trying to figure out exactly what He was had in store for us, but. Um, but uh, my parents are just my, my my family and my parents are just so supportive of me and 
and they realize the how 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 long I've had this dream and and how long I've how much work I put into it and how much it matters to me and they were like whatever you do we're going to be behind you and hmm. um and, and so that's just the type of people that they are and uh, I'm really fortunate to have them in my life because it's I'm, you know it seems like every single situation I get myself into they're they're there and they're uh they're uh they're making themselves uh, known and, and have been supportive the entire way through. Yeah, that's hugely meaningful, especially at that, like the formative stages of your sports life to be able to have that type of moment where they say, hey, like we, we got you no matter what, because a lot of athletes uh, don't get the benefit of the debt when it comes to that stuff. So you move on and you end up going into, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Kansas Jayhawk Community College Conference, KJCCC. Everybody just calls it the Jayhawk Conference. Nathan, around here at TSN 1150 in Hamilton, one of our analysts is John Salavantis, who I'm not sure if you've ever crossed paths with before, but um, he used to actually, I believe back in the 70s, I want to say, might have been early 80s, uh, he was the head coach at Independence Community College down there in the Jayhawk Conference. And so uh, he loved when Last Chance You came out. Until he watched it. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then he immediately despised it because he was like, that's not the independence that I left. That's not the Kansas that I know. That's not the community that I want to be treated that way. It was just overwhelming for him the way that he talked about it with us. He was just absolutely disgusted. I've talked to Dominique Davis, quarterback of the Ottawa Red Blacks, who told me that he went down there, and I forget exactly where he played. You might know off the top of your head, but he was an outstanding quarterback down there in the Jayhawk Conference, took the JUCO route, went in there, and he was telling me in a story that I did last year on CFL.ca just how bleeping crazy the Jayhawk Conference is in terms of the athletes that are there, the dog-eat-dog mentality, the challenge of going every week into a place where you might go into Dodge City and there might be absolutely nothing and you might have nobody to talk to and it might feel lonely as all get-out when you're on campus because, like you say, it's school, it's football, not much else. But this this system, this JUCO, this, this Jayhawk Conference seems to develop and produce endlessly right now this top-end talent. When you were looking around and doing all the JUCO stuff, you decided to go there. Did you know what the Jayhawk Conference was known for? Did it live up to expectations? Is it as crazy as it seems in the Last Chance U television series? Um, yeah, it, it is. It's a pretty good representation of what it's like. Um, yeah, uh, it's funny. Dominique Davis actually went to Fort Scott as well. So mm. we were at the same school. Um, and so I, I would just echo everything that he said. Um, it's 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 pretty nuts. Um, there's you're going um, you're going up against the uh, players that have played at Division One uh, schools. They're called bounce backs. Yep. They're there for a year and something happens and they're coming back. So you're playing against Division One talent, um, but you have you know junior college uh, resources. Um, so you, you have weight rooms that are shared by everybody and that look like high school uh, weight rooms. And Took you, you back to HD all over again. There you go. And, um, you have to wake up every single morning at a, at a very early time. We did something called uh, breakfast checks where everyone had to be up at 6 o'clock in the morning um, and, and just to make sure that everyone was up um, because sometimes people would sleep through and not get to class. Um, so everyone had to wake up at a certain time, so I remember doing that, and that really sucked. Um, but, yeah, the, the mentality was tough because everyone is trying to get to a certain goal. Um, everyone is trying to get out of Fort Scott, and they're trying to go land on a Division One team, um, but it's hard when you don't take uh, a, 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 the mentality of a team rather than just individuals. If that makes sense, like people are all trying to work for themselves, yeah. but and sometimes that kind of spills over into the practice field or into games where people just want stats and they just want highlights. But it's like, hey, like we got to go out and try to beat Dodge City. And we're trying to just work, figure out like what we're doing as it what's our you know our identity as a team. And so that was difficult for me. Um, but um, yeah, it was difficult. And we were we were not one of the most talented teams that the year that I played. And so um, playing against um, some really really good players um, every single year was great, or every single game was great. But it was also very difficult at the same time. And so um it was i you had to grow up really really fast but i was really fortunate to go through that um i always tell people that juco helps you figure out if you like football or not um because if there's so many other things that you could be doing um other than just focusing on your academics your grades and uh football you could be focusing on uh uh you know going you know partying and or you know a lot of people got caught up in drugs yep um, and those type of people who weren't, who didn't really, really like football, you know, for the, 
for the, the status that you had because you didn't have any at Fort Scott or the popularity because you didn't have any popularity or, you know, the parties or whatever it might be. If you like football for those reasons, you weren't getting out of Fort Scott. And so uh, I always tell people that that's what it, it helped me figure out, fo- you know, that I like football. I mean, I knew I loved football, right. but I, it, was, it, was, it was an eye-opening experiencing for me. To put yourself in that environment, in a situation that you're just not wired for, like the, the idea of only fighting for yourself and the idea of being completely, almost like socially isolated, like so many people are familiar with right now, being in that community college setup um, had to be very strange for you. But I, I want to ask you here on the way out of all things uh, Jayhawk Conference, like what is the one time where you're on field and something happens in the Jayhawk conference, something happens in JUCO and you're like, whoa, man, I have not seen that before. That is strange because there were a lot of times for me where I was watching Last Chance U and the Independence Community College uh, head coach Jason Brown would do something or say something or you would hear the mic'd up access on the sideline. And honestly, Nathan, I'm thinking that ain't never happened to me in Canadian high school football. That ain't never happened to me playing quarterback at McMaster university. Like none of that makes sense to me, but that seems to be the norm. There is just these crazy little moments in game that maybe you got desensitized to it in your time there because it just kind of washed over you. But is there one that sticks out to you where you went, man, I've never seen that before. Yeah. Um, I don't know about during a game, but I remember during practice that, um, there was this thing that can, in condition, like a conditioning thing that we did where it was about a, uh, a really, really long run to this, to, to this lake, um, that was way out in the, in the country. And it was next near the practice field, but like it was still a really long run. And we did it as a conditioning as like a team builder in the summer. Um, but at, during practice, one of the times the head coach got really, really mad at somebody who was kind of talking back to him and everything. And then he told him to, to run to the lake in full equipment uh, in the middle of, like, and it was like August or something like that. And so it was like really, really hot and stuff. And uh, that was kind of tough. And then when the kid came back, he, he threw all his equipment at the coach and left and we never saw him again. Really? So, yeah. So it was like stuff like that. That was just kind of like, that was just like, cause at junior college, you don't, you have, there's, everyone's there for some kind of reason. Mm-hmm. And it, sometimes it's, sometimes it's football, sometimes it's grades, but, Sometimes it's character, like it's it, you have all different kinds of people, and then the coaches are the, kind of the same way. They all want to be somewhere else, and so uh, it was. <laughs> that's probably the one. That's one of the funniest stories I, I remember uh, coming across. But yeah, uh, I, th- I think anybody that's seen Last Chance U, that would certainly fit. Uh, that would make a lot of sense. That, that would be something that would go down there for you. Yeah. Um, you, you. I imagine you had a lot of interesting teammates. Who's the name that kind of sticks with you? Whether it's because they went on to great success. Or if it's because they were just somebody that really clicked with you or you thought was an interesting person. Uh, because these football teams are so damn big, man. And there's so many different types of personalities that are put into a football locker room. To be able to go through Alabama high school football at an extremely talented team that's won all these state championships, go into a JUCO situation and be around these guys who all come from diverse backgrounds, from places all around the country, all around the world. Who's the one person that you look back now at your, your developmental stages before Ohio, before the NCAA, and you're like, that's crazy to think that I, that person was on my team. Yeah, the guy that I think about um, that comes right off the uh, top of my head is um, probably one of the best receivers I ever played with. Is a guy named Jackson Tate that I played with at Edgewood Academy. Um, he was uh, I, I threw a, a lot of touchdown passes that year, and he caught <laughs> most of them. Uh, and he was one of those guys that uh, would work would work extremely hard. Was a freak in the weight room. Um, and uh, was obviously extremely successful um, uh, on the field, and he didn't get any offers uh, mm. at all, and um, and it was just dumbfounding to me. Um, but he ended up playing JUCO, and now he's uh, he, he's a, he, he's playing baseball with the with Alabama. So there's a good chance. So I think he's already gotten drafted, so he might be a, become a baseball player. But that's uh-huh. just how good of a player he was. But it's crazy to me because I remember telling him, I remember talking to him. When I just got to Ohio, and I said, "Dude, if you walked on here, you could be, you could get a scholarship in two weeks," hmm. and and the fact that he never got an offer. So, um, but yeah, it's kind of cra- crazy things like that where um, where you just kind of happen upon people who are extremely gifted, and hopefully, uh, hopefully he, he he gets he he figures everything out, and he gets a he gets what he wants, and because he's he deserves it. He's a good he was a really good guy, and I 
a really good friend as well. I can imagine the conversation that you guys would have had when you're talking about him walking home where you're like, listen, dude, we got chemistry. This is easy. Just get up here. And he's, oh, I'm playing baseball. I'm doing other things probably and yeah. wanting to move on. But the idea of um, you actually experiencing kind of the, some of the inequalities or some of the strange dynamics of the NCAA, I imagine that would have been eye-opening for you early on. But you made the decision uh, to look around and you ended up going to Ohio. I saw a picture of you from way back that was you in an Akron Zips uniform. And, and this I find interesting because um, when I went through recruiting trips and I didn't have them down in the NCAA and it was all different at this point, but when I was going through it, Nathan, I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm going to dive in and be a part of one team and I only want to be a part of one team. And so I was kind of like hesitant in my recruiting process. But I see pictures all the time of guys that are wearing uniforms on recruiting trips of schools they don't end up playing for. It's become this trend in social media over the last decade or so. And I've always wondered, and when I saw this picture of you in the Akron uniform, I'm like, do you ever look back at that and you're like, man, I I play against those guys. I hate those guys. They're inside my conference in the MAC, all the rest. I wish I wouldn't have put on the uniform so people had the fodder of an image. It's dumb, but you know the society that we live in now. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I remember uh, that's that's great. You did your research, and not everyone knows that. I, some people just ask um, what other offers I had, and I just kind of skip over Akron. But um, they, yeah, I when I was at the when I was visiting there, the the jersey they were trying to sell me on the school and whatnot, as they do, and and the the jersey for me is never like an issue. Like that's never been a thing. Like I. Right. I, I, I don't. That's not important to me. Like I want. Like there's way more things that are important, like the offense and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like that's way more important. But I, at the point, like I was hesitant to put it on as well, and I was the same <laughs> with the Ohio one. But it was my first visit, and it was my first official visit, and I was, um, and I felt like if if I didn't put the jersey on, then it would have been like, uh, kind of been disrespectful yeah. to the team because they had brought me out here, they had paid for my flight. You know, they had been pitching me about the university the entire day, and for me to not put on a jersey would have been kind of, kind of like a slap. slap in the yeah, face. slap in the face, right? Uh, so yeah, I just yeah. So I just figured I just figured that that was the best way to do it, and and uh, it's okay. Like it's all good. I didn't have any like bad memories or regret from that. It was a tough decision between the two at the time, and but I'm really glad that I picked the right one. Where else did you end up looking around? Where did you feel strongly about before you settled in and found yourself a home in in Ohio? Those are the two schools. Okay. It, was just, it really came down to Akron and, and Ohio. I visited; those are my two official visits, and um, and I, I mean, I had some smaller school offers, but nothing that I was really right uh, seriously considering. What's the smallest school offer that you got, and you're like, how did they even find me? Uh, I I when I, I remember getting an offer when I was in, when I just got to junior college from Alabama A and M. Um, with, they just kind of found out that I didn't have any offers, and they uh, said, "Hey, you know, we'll, we'll offer you." And, <laughs> and so, you and open so up I, that I, piece I, of mail, and you're like, "What?" Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, that one was out over like I think uh, Twitter or something like that. <laughs> like, it was it was really informal, so I was just like, "I don't even know if this is real." Yeah, so, you think I it's like a bot account or something? Yeah, and I was already at Fort Scott at that point, so I was like, "I, I was, I was like, all right, well, I, I kind of want to do." a bigger program anyway, so I'll see how this plays out. So. Amazing. Uh, he is Nathan Rourke joining us here on the CFP podcast and on TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Uh, so you end up, I mean, we've gone deep on your development and growing up, but we haven't even got to Ohio yet, and I don't want to keep you for three hours. I'm sure I could to break down everything that happened in your career, but your time at Ohio um, has been really special for you, and I, I got the sense from reading a couple of articles last night before having you on here about the way that you feel about Ohio, the way that you feel about the opportunity, the way you grew into the community there in Athens. Um, you're in Athens right now, like even though uh, you are at the back end of your career and looking at this draft process, NFL, CFL, otherwise. Explain to me your relationship with that community because when you come from Oakville, you go to Alabama, you go to Kansas, and then you go to Ohio, you kind of are dancing around and putting down roots and picking them up, putting down roots and picking them up. Even though obviously the JUCO route and the high school route, you knew that that was temporary. You knew your university route, uh, routes were going to be hopefully a little bit deeper and a little bit longer, but you end up going to Ohio and finding this place that really does feel like you've created a home for yourself over the last four or five years. Yeah. It's a, Athens is a unique place. It's, um, it's, uh, I'm definitely a, a university town. Um, the entire community rallies around the university, and 
the um, the, the there's a there's a great following of of uh, Ohio athletics, and that's really unique. And um, we, we don't have the biggest stadium at Eden, but when it, we fill it, and we have a tremendous support, and it's really special to um, to to be able to. To be able to have to have represented Ohio for three years and um, and uh, play play there at Peden, so um, it, it was really cool to come to a place um, that has that like has a culture that it, it did that Coach Solich has built, and um, to be a part of that and um, and to uh, to kind of just do it all in, in a really special college town like Athens. I read a uh, scouting report on you that says he contorts his body in ways he shouldn't be able to. He keeps his legs churning constantly, and even when a play breaks down, he has the ability to escape the pocket. He still has the mental prowess to look down the field before taking off and try to find the home run. Tell me your greatest strength. Um, I think I think my greatest strength as a player is 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 um, my my love for the game. Uh, and I, I think I think that sounds cliche, but I think it's true. Um, that I think that one of the biggest things that you have to do as a as a as a player is to be able to be better is or to improve is to love to prepare. And um, I love the game, and so I you know preparing in, in the weight in the film room in the weight room uh, on the practice field. Those things are all really really fun to me. I have a blast doing them. Um, and so that the game is just a nice thing on top, and the game's a lot easier when you've done all that stuff to prepare and. Um, and so, uh, w- when it comes down to it, when I've done all the work from Monday through Friday, Saturday's a lot easier to do. And, um, and I enjoy those things immensely. Um, and so, uh, it, 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 it helps, it helps out a lot when you, when you're enjoying what you do every single day. Absolutely. And, and you had your pro day that was booked for March 17th. I would imagine in the middle of all the mayhem, it wasn't exactly a normal pro day. Did you even get your put to put your pro day on? Who was there? Did you just videotape it? Did you even get to go on field? How did the pro day thing shake out for you during this really important time in your process? Yeah, so pro day was canceled. Um, we didn't able we weren't able actually to, to do it. So I found that out on the Friday before it was going to be happening on a Tuesday. And I found out I think on the Friday or the Saturday that right. it wasn't happening. So that was very disappointing. We were had been working in Nashville um, until uh, from. Uh, right after the bowl game, pretty much, uh, I guess after the NFLPA bowl, um, I was in Nashville training for this pro day, and uh, I thought I was going to put up, you know, I believe that I was going to put up really, really good numbers. Um, so that I had to get moved around, kind of, kind of with the with self isolation and the coronavirus and whatnot. And um, so what we ended up doing was we had a, uh, a replacement pro day in Nashville that I attended about uh, a week or two ago. And then where we did all the measurements and the times and everything for uh, that we we would get at a pro day. And then yesterday I filmed uh, the position work, so I went through a, hmm. uh, a fifty play script or fifty throw script uh, with some receivers and filmed that. And so we kind of have now the equivalent of what a pro day would be, just that we don't have the benefit of uh, teams being there at present and having to talk to them. But uh, been he- been hearing from some people on the on the phone kind of and through uh, video chats and stuff like that that we're trying to kind of making up for the situation that we're in right now and uh, everyone's in the same boat so. right. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's how we've kind of managed things. It's uh, it's a weird environment, obviously, to be in. But was there almost solidarity in the sense that you were recording that fifty throw script or or whatever it was you decided to do yesterday and send it out? Um, did it almost feel like it was just you on a field in an Alabama summer, getting ready for your year, your senior year down there? Did it feel like you were alone on a field in the Jayhawk conference, getting ready before a training camp? Like I imagine that it's. You get through enough reps, you live the football life that you have, and it's gonna at some point feel strangely normal in a time that's anything but. Yeah, I mean it was it was normal and it was kind of therapeutic because it's just football. Right. Football is something that I, I like, and it's it's not really an escape for me. It's just kind of what I do and, and what I enjoy doing. So it was easy, but it's funny. I, I do I do remember um, when I was at Edgewood um, in Alabama. I remember uh, taking video. Uh, of me throwing for Division One coaches, I remember specifically doing one for um, do, doing a, a throwing workout and filming it for um, Missouri, and um, and uh, so I, I, it was reminiscent of that <laughs> where you're filming everything. And I remember I, I edited it myself and I put all the clips together, and 
and then sent it out. And, and so it was, it was very, it reminded me of that a whole bunch. I'm just laughing because that is the definition of the grind right there. Like if people don't realize the stuff that you've gone through to get to where you're at. Yeah. I took the video myself. Like I'm imagining you with like a little camcorder on a tripod. You basically like uncle Rico out in the front yard, just throwing the football around and Napoleon dynamite, <laughs> trying to make sure that people are aware of how good you can be for them moving forward. But, um, that quarantine life, that isolation life that we're all living is to say everybody's in the same boat um, for you mentally, like physically, obviously I'm sure you're still getting your work in and you're trying to do your best to keep things as normal and as therapeutic as possible mentally. Like this is a strange time for you to be able to wrap your head around the concept of going into a draft, talking, I'm sure to some NFL teams, having interest from down South. Also knowing that if you don't go down South, man, there's going to be a ton of interest in you in the Canadian football league from, I would have to imagine well over half the league, if not most of the teams, based on what you can present to them, based on your marketability as a Canadian quarterback, based on your level of play when you were down there at Ohio. Um, how have you been keeping your mind right, knowing that it's such a crucial and interesting time in your journey after all of these things that you've developed throughout, yet you're doing it in really unregular circumstances? Yeah, um, it's definitely a time of uncertainty, and there's, you're, not really un- you're not really sure what tomorrow's going to bring. Um, but luckily, I think uh, you know the good Lord has has allowed us to uh, have this isn't the first time that we've had to deal with this uncertainty and stuff like that. I remember, you know, going into uh, going into uh, National Signing Day in in in, uh, in 20, 2015, in fall of twenty fifteen, and and uh, and not knowing where I was going to end up, and that kind of being a frightening thing. But hmm. um, I think you could definitely have those kind of emotions right now, but. Uh, I'm I'm really at peace of kind of where I'm at, and uh, I think I put my best foot forward in, in pretty much every area, and I'm taking every day as it is, and I'm excited to see what what, it, what everything will bring, and I'm looking forward to uh, the, the draft and uh, in the NFL and the CFL and seeing where it takes me. Um, you have talked as well about your preparation, your training. Tell me about the hill that's at Ohio. I was going through Twitter yesterday, and you guys have got this thing at Ohio that looks like my personal hell. We have down by Coots Paradise in Hamilton. I don't know if you're familiar with that kind of Princess Point in that area uh, in Hamilton by McMaster. There's a long hill, and it's longer, but it's not that steep. Uh, I've seen people that run hills that are grass. I've seen people run hills that are sand. Just a straight-up paved road that's got this big hill that you guys appear to be just killing yourselves on at Ohio. Uh, is this like like a tradition? Is this a staple of your strength and conditioning coordinator? Because uh, there's a lot of people I think right now that are like, man, I can't peel myself off the couch because I just want to watch Netflix and do nothing because I'm not motivated because everything's so strange right now and I just feel safe on my couch. And I see these videos of you guys from before doing these battles of of crushing it up the hill, and I'm just amazed by it. Yeah, uh, that, that that'd be. I think that's. I think you're talking about Jeff Hill. Yeah, um, yeah. The that's one of the, our our pillars of our training. Uh, in the summer, we have a bunch of uh, 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 special ru- team runs that we do. Um, there's a whole bunch of them, but yeah, I, I've always enjoyed hills. I think that you can look at hills as trying to accomplish whatever goal, whatever is at the the goal that you're trying to accomplish is at the top. And and um, I've always enjoyed the concept of what hills are, but they're very very difficult. But they, they're fun. It, it's it's a fun time to kind of kind of compete with your brothers and whatnot. And so. Um, that's always, that's been a stitch ever since I've been here. I think a couple of years before it's been a staple of our summer conditioning program. And, uh, as long with, along with some other very, very challenging runs as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, name me uh, some of your influences here, Nathan. I know that uh, for a guy that's been around in so many different places, you probably have some diverse looks. I'd seen in an article you had mentioned Brett Favre as being someone that um, you might have had a bit of an influence from, just the style of play that he had. But who do you watch as a kid, whether it was uh, your senior year when you went down south or watching the NFL growing up, the CFL growing up, or otherwise, where you're looking at them and you're saying, man, I, I want to make my game feel and look a little bit like that. Yeah, well, when I was growing up, it, it was definitely Brett Favre. Brett Favre was my was my idol, and and uh, I wanted to. I always wore four uh, number the number four um, leading up until uh, my year at Alabama. Uh, I always wore a number four, um, and because of him, and and uh, I always liked how he improvised, and I liked um, his 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 love and his passion for the game that it was so obviously um, he 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 showed and. Um, and so I always liked that. And uh, but as you grow up and you start to understand football a little bit more, that you know how um, sometimes he was pr- pretty irresponsible. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute, that dude that I grew up loving was reckless. 
Yeah, he kind of <laughs> threw away a little bit too many interceptions and stuff like that. So, um, especially when I've been at Ohio, you, I start liking you like guys like uh, Drew Brees and and Tom Brady, who who are kind of known as surgeons and who can kind of uh, dis- dissect the defense with with short passes and getting the ball out of their hand quick. And um, those are kind of guys that um, I wanted to be able to to emulate and um, and just be um, you know just mentally just be able to. Un- to, to, to beat a defense just mentally, which is something that I've I've never really been able to do. I think I I think for when I was in high school and even when I was in Alabama, or I think even at Fort Scott, I was just kind of allow, uh, relying on uh, m- just making people miss and making better throws than people. But I think that when I got to Ohio, especially my junior and senior year, I was beating people with my mind, and that's something that I always want to do. And there's definitely going to be a learning curve at this next level, and I but I look forward to learning about it. But I think that that's that's something that I've always aspired to do is beat people with my mind, beat people with my football IQ. Yeah, it's it's one of the more rewarding things I think that you can feel as a quarterback is to know that you just outsmarted somebody. You can make a great throw, you can yeah. make somebody miss in the open field, but to know that you've got them in the palm of your hand, right? That's that's the feeling yeah. that you really know you're in control of your game. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you here before we move on to finish up is uh, about you can watch as much film as you want and you can go through mental scripts and prepare yourself. And I'm sure that you're talking to all sorts of different teams from around the CFL, NFL about what is going to happen and they're interested in you and they're trying to figure you out just like a lot of our podcast listeners are being introduced to you and figuring out, Oh, okay, this is what this guy is all about. Um, for you, once all of that's done, cause you can only do so much of that in a day before you start going crazy. How do you fill your day? Like how, how do you experience trying to isolate and trying to get through? Because a lot of people are doing video games. A lot of people watch Netflix. Otherwise, I kind of peg you as a bit of a reader. Would I be wrong in saying that you feel like you're somebody that would sit down with a book and be able to dive in? Yeah, you'd be right. I, I do. I do like to, to to get into a book. I just finished one actually. Um, the uh, I I definitely like to read. I I I want to read more than I do currently. Yeah. Um. But uh, so this is probably a good time to to do that. Um. But yeah, just. Spending time with friends, spending time with people that are still here, um, Netflix absolutely. Um, but then there's been other things that I've been doing, like workouts and and, and uh, watching film and and doing things that have just kept me busy. That stuff that I, like I said, I enjoy doing. And so this is a good time when we have some free time to kind of get after that. Was it a a football book or something outside of the game? It was something outside of the game. It was a it was a a a, a book about faith. And, okay. And, uh, so yeah, it was it was cool to it was cool. It was a good read. Really good read. Yeah, it makes you feel a little bit more at peace, I'm sure, during crazy times like this. Uh, your brother, I want to mention as well. Uh, get him in here. You feel like online on your social media that you are his biggest fan at this point. What was it like for you to experience him uh, deciding to kind of follow in the footsteps there and end up at Ohio? Well, um, during that entire process, I mean, it <laughs> I, I kind of. Uh, took a, a very different approach, I think, than most people would affect uh, what would, would think about that. I kind of answered any questions that he had, but I didn't recruit him very hard at, at, uh, at all. Mm-hmm. And that's not because I didn't want him to come. I, I just I wanted him to make his own decision because um, I knew uh, with him coming here that there would be tremendous expectation and um, and uh, probably some unnecessary comparisons and whatnot. Um, but uh, I thought, you know, I love Ohio, and I thought it would be a good place, but I wanted it to be his decision. And, and so when he ended up picking it, I was really, really happy for him because I knew it was his decision and not something that I had influenced. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, he's, he, yeah, we have a really cool relationship. He's, he's a, a very special player, and we're, he's going to be a very different player than I am, but, or I was, but he, uh, he, he's very special, and I'm, I'm excited to see uh, how, how it all turns out for him. Yeah, he's, uh, he's certainly got some stuff to live up to, like you say, but that's admirable of you to try and take that approach a little bit hands-off on it all. You also went through the Manning Passing Academy. Um, what was the one thing that you walked away from? Because I know my experience being in, in training camp with the Stampeders back in 2013, I walked out of Calgary Stampeders training camp after working with Dave Dickinson, and I just said to myself, like, the one thing that I learned about the way the game needs to be played here is the seriousness that you need to take your preparation. Because, again, you think you know it, and you go into a real situation with real people who do this for a living, get paid, and their livelihood depends on it. And I very quickly kind of turned the page and went, okay, i got to change my mindset to this. What did you come away from the Manning Passing Academy with one thing, working that closely to that much of a legend? Yeah, um, it was a cool, really, really cool experience, obviously, with Peyton and Eli and so many so many great names. It was, it was one of those events where... 
there'd be someone who you'd be like, oh, that's so-and-so, and that's so-and-so. Like, every single day, like, there'd be something somebody new that you had no idea uh, was coming, and then they'd just be there, and it was really, really crazy. And obviously the college quarterbacks that were there, um, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Jake Fromm, um, Joe Burrow, like, people that, like, that, you know, you see on TV and now you're interacting with. So that was pretty cool. But what I took away from that was, um, you know, there's some guys that are talented, more talented than I am. There's guys that are are um, are, uh, are are going to have the measurables and they're going to be taller and they're going to be faster. Um, but um, the way that I prepare and the way that I care about the game and how serious I take it, with that, like, I can out-love anybody with with the way that I treat football. Like, mm-hmm. I can out-prepare anybody. Um, I remember we going into a meeting um, and it was Peyton and Eli and Brian Schottenheimer from the Seattle Seahawks and they, we just had it was a locked door and we had about an hour and a half and it was all a quarter college quarterbacks in there and I was one of the few people that had a pen and a, pe- and, a pe- and a pencil and to take notes and stuff like that and I remember looking at that and going there's some guys in here that are going to be number one or first round draft picks uh, but I, I came prepared yeah. and I can use that and I got kind of got fired up because I knew that I knew that not everyone uh, in the room cared about football as much as I did, and 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 if I knew that from that standpoint, I could I could compete with them and and, and beat them out. That's amazing. Uh, and again, when you sit down in that room, and you know Peyton and Eli and whatnot are in there, does it feel like it's just another film session, or is it like you're constantly looking around, going, "Am I am I really in this room? Is is this a spot I should be in?" Yeah, no, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> it was it was nuts because. Yeah, Peyton and Eli are, are they're yeah they're legends and and um, and just yeah just to shake their hand and and I I, I asked them a couple of questions and stuff like that and um, had conversations one on one with them and it was it was pretty crazy yeah it was definitely one of those moments where it was like I don't get starstruck but it was one of those moments where it was it was like this is this is pretty cool I'm not gonna ever forget this. Uh, so, d- does um, Peyton's dry wit translate behind the scenes the way that it does when he's in front of a camera? Oh yeah, yeah. He was he was running all the the meetings and everything. He he was he was had, had some really good questions. His, the, the, something that people don't might not know is that the other uh, Manning brother Cooper yeah. Cooper Manning he's probably one of the funniest people I, I've ever <laughs> interacted with. He's got a great sense of humor, and so he was running all the activities uh, at night, and he was he was. He was leading all the charge on all that stuff, and so yeah, that's where that comes from. I think. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, last couple I got for you here, Nathan, is gonna be great with your time here on the podcast and TSN 1150 Hamilton. Is um, I noticed that in season at Ohio that you have taken on kind of the LeBron esque strategy of shut it down, see you guys after the season. Um, a lot of people have started to do that, and I really respect the athletes that decide to do it and decide, you know what, this is what I'm focusing on. I just don't need the access to it. It doesn't help me in any way, shape, or form. Um, when did that kind of become a thought in your head? Because I, I would imagine that at some point it would kind of come from the basis of, ooh, I don't really like being this accessible when I'm taking care of my craft in season. Um, what is the impact of social media in the way that you operate yeah, um, yeah. I started doing that um, at Fort Scott. That was the first year that I did it, okay. and then I brought it over when I was doing it in Ohio. Uh, when I got to Ohio, um, yeah, it was. When I remember at Edgewood, um, I remember, uh, you know, and I, I've never really gotten a lot of, uh, like, or never really been impacted by people with negative criticism. It's been sometimes. It's sometimes I feel like if I get too much positive stuff, I'll get complacent, hmm. and I don't want that ever to happen. Uh, I remember at Edgewood, obviously, we were winning a lot of games, and there was a lot of positive stuff happening. And I didn't like the fact that I was always checking up on things and seeing how if there was any cool videos or you know highlights or stuff like that. And there was you know there were some things that I needed to do for recruiting and stuff like that. Like I you know that was important. Um, but um, during the season, I didn't think that it benefited me. So when I saw, I think it was, I think I think it was LeBron that yeah, I think LeBron did it. And he had a tweet that said that he was going to do it for the playoffs and stuff like that. And I just figured, um, why not try it for the, this is, you know, this is at Fort Scott. I was planning on it just being my only season there at Fort Scott. So I said, let's make the most of it. Let's Mm. cut out as much of the negative stuff we can and see how it works. Thought it worked really, really well. And um, obviously there wasn't as much media coverage, but when I got to Ohio, I was, I'd already done it before and uh, it wasn't anything new for me. And I, I I feel, you know, this past season I did it again and, and I feel 
much more connected with my teammates, much more connected with my family, and um, and and less drawn to my st- my screen when I'm in the off season, like times where it's like right now, um, I, I definitely feel like I'm drawn to my phone, and and I and I get mad at myself for for picking it up all the time and almost instinctually. So, um, so I just want I just try to get away from that and develop better habits. Yeah, I think all of us at certain points in the day, we realize, why is this thing attached to my hand? I don't even need it here. It's not doing anything. But uh, I'm going to finish off with you here, Nathan, by asking you a couple of rapid fire, uh, one or the other questions. New little segment here to end off the CFP podcast. Uh, What would you prefer more to have as your star receiver, a shifty slot or an unstoppable jump ball wide receiver? Uh. Probably a shifty slot. Yeah, those are the guys. Eh? Sweet potatoes or Idaho famous potatoes? Sweet potatoes, sorry, Idaho. <laughs> Come on, man, you were the MVP. <laughs> uh, no, that's good stuff. The, what's your favorite go-to sweet potato dish? Because I get the sense you got your nutrition kind of locked in. Yeah, um, no, I just, I just, I just bake them. I put them in. I, I, I have them. Some like when I was at Nashville, I had like a really early mornings, and I put them in the microwave, and then, and then bring them on my ride. To the facilities and eat them on the way. <laughs> I love the simplicity of that. Like, just throw it in the microwave and then eat it with a fork. Just jam it into my yeah. face and get the carbs and get a, going. Yeah. Uh, not even a fork. I just eat that. <laughs> oh, really? Out of your hand? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That's a legendary move. I don't, I don't know if I've ever done that. <laughs> that's something we learned, everybody. We've taken away from the podcast. Nathan Rourke <laughs> eats sweet potatoes microwave with his bare hands, which I think you might be the only person in the world that doesn't burn your hands by trying to do that. But oh. uh, <laughs> uh, Zone Read. Or RPO? Uh, zone read. Zone read, okay. Uh, do you like to beat people with your mind or your body? Mind. Mind. Canada Day versus Independence Day. You can only choose one. What's the better day? Oh, Canada Day. Canada Day, 100%. <laughs> That's the right answer. Good job. Uh, what makes you happier when you see it pre-snap? A press corner in the boundary or a free okay. safety that's rotated away from your primary read? Uh, press corner to the boundary. Yeah. I, I can move that safety if I need to. Oh, there you go. So you make your own destiny. I like that answer. Birthday cards, do you keep them because you need them for future reference or get rid of them because if you kept them, that's just called hoarding? No, I, I, I keep them. I have a box of all the things that my parents have sent me over the years. Amazing. Uh, better race car driver, Lewis Hamilton or James Hinchcliffe? Oh, James Hinchcliffe. From Oakville, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Have you gotten a ride with him yet? No, uh, not yet. Oh, man, he's actually like a volunteer constable in the Oakville Police Department as well, so you never know. Next time you're home, maybe if he's uh, he's got some off-season time, go for a spin with him. I fully volunteer to hook that up if possible, okay? That, yeah, that'd be sweet. Uh, and the last couple I got for you, you can only watch one for the rest of your life. Tom versus Time or Peyton's Places? Tom versus Time, but the um, Peyton's uh, Summer School, have you ever seen that? No. Oh, Payne Summer School. It's uh, NFL Timeline. That's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen in my life. Is that when he went back that to one? Duke and he was around Cutcliffe and he was messing around with, like, yeah. I think Welker was in it and Eli? I think I might have actually seen that. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, it was the year before he set all those records and stuff like that. Oh, okay. The summer before. It's unbelievable. But, yeah, Tom versus Time. Other, uh, my other favorite documentary is The Brady Six. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Brady Six is, I, I mean, all of us that are Brady nerds, I think, can recite every line from the opening of The Brady Six where he's going through yeah. and not getting drafted and crying. And yeah. Brady's got to bring back the long hair for Tampa Bay, no? Come on, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, and the last one that I got for you here, does Nathan Rourke end up in the CFL or the NFL if he was a betting man today? If he's a betting man? I will, I will say this about that. I... Um, I, I, I fully expect to get an opportunity in the NFL um, and to uh, to 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 make to give my best effort towards that. And then we'll see what happens from there, man. You've been uh, amazing with your time. I appreciate it. I know a lot of people already know your story, are already following you. I sent out a mock draft the other day on CFL.ca that didn't have you in it, and I got so many people, Nathan, that were like, what the hell are you doing? Why is this guy not in here? I'm like, um... Because I'm not sure teams are going to take the risk in the first four rounds because I think they know how highly NFL teams think of him uh, as well. But it's been great to see your journey, man, and it's it, you're a super fun conversation. doesn't matter what side of the border you end up on. People up here are going to be pulling for you and following your career. So uh, I hope that you know that, and I hope that you appreciate that, and I'm sure that you do. 
Yeah, well, I appreciate you having me, Marshall. Thanks, I appreciate it. My thanks to Nathan Rourke for joining me here on the Canadian Football Perspective podcast. Hopefully that gives you some insight into the person, the player, the man, the brother, the son, uh, the quarterback, the teammate, everything that encompasses what it means to be Nathan Rourke because uh, he's got an opportunity to be able to let the, all the teams that are catching up with him right now in these strange, strange times understand who he is as a player and after listening to that, if you come away from it and you don't think that teams are going to fall in love with him as the person, you're just wrong uh, because they are absolutely going to. And his film is pretty damn good too. So pair those two things together and I think we all understand that he's going to get an opportunity. If he doesn't go to the NFL, whatever CFL team gets him is going to be very, very lucky to have him on their roster. And you can only imagine what it would mean to have a legitimate quarterback that is of Canadian descent on a roster, especially coming out of these strange times that we're in right now. Thank you for tuning in. Do appreciate it. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. At CF Perspective is the place to be able to go. Lots of articles coming up this week and more breakdowns from my fellow teammates Connor O'Neill and Wade Zanchetta as they're going to bring you more analysis heading towards the CFL draft. Once we get to the CFL season, if it is delayed, don't worry. That doesn't mean there is not football. It doesn't mean there's not podcasts or content or written articles. There's always stuff to talk about. we got lots of stuff to break down. We can go back and do a, a game of the week. We can do all sorts of fun stuff and uh, i'm sure that we'll attack that when we cross that hurdle but for now we thank you for tuning in i hope that you have yourselves a safe and happy weekend